This is Friends of Europe. For more, go to friendsofeurope.org. So, good afternoon, everyone. It's just midday, so I can say good afternoon. Welcome, everyone, and please join me in welcoming also our guest of honor today, the President of North Macedonia, Mr. Stevo Pendarovsky. So, Mr. President, thank you so much for coming over. Uh, we've been waiting for you to come and to send a few messages, I think very important messages, to the European Union. Uh, I'm not going to introduce the President. We all know who he is, and we're delighted that he has been elected uh, very recently. And, of course, uh, Mr. President, your election was seen as a strong signal of public support for the PRESPA agreement, which allows us to call you the President of North Macedonia, which is delightful. Um, so when you took over, Mr. President, your, at your inauguration, you said you would be, and I quote, uh, the president of all citizens, that you are committed to respecting the rule of law and bringing the country closer to accession to the EU. So I'd like to give you the floor. Once you've spoken, I'll have a few questions follow up. And then all of you, I know you're all interested in seeing and asking the president some questions. We have until one o'clock. So without further ado, Excellency, floor is yours. It's okay? Yeah. Okay, okay. Thank you for the invitation. The warm, warm greetings for all of you, especially for our host. And uh, I have been before in this kind of format, this kind of a gathering, but never on this side. <laughs> yes. So I saw a few familiar faces I haven't seen for years. Although I'm coming quite frequently in Brussels for, for many years in different capacities, now for the first time as the president of my country. Uh, I would like uh, to be very short in my introductory remarks in order to have more space for the Q&A session, comments, not only Q&A, and ready to, to respond to each questions you might have for me, even going over the time limit we have for today's session. <laughs> okay, thank you for the warning. Uh, so uh, I would like to say a few important, in my view, important remarks about the latest uh, course of events uh, connected with uh, North Macedonia. As uh, our host said, we have been just out of the presidential elections. And uh, my election is not important only because of the frame of the PRESPA agreement. As you said, it's important, of course. It's not important only because we have gathered all pro-European political forces, structures, and citizens. It is important for one other aspect, extremely important for the stability and prosperity of my country, has ever been since 1990s. We are a multi-ethnic country multi-ethnic society, and it's very important that uh, my candidacy was supported by all ethnic communities, political representatives and citizens as well by all ethnic communities, including ethnic Albanians, Turks, Serbs, Roma, Vlachs, Bosniaks living in North Macedonia. And the end result of the whole process was then I got approximately one quarter of all of my votes coming from the different ethnicities, mm -hmm different from my ethnicity as being an ethnic Macedonian. So that's very important because that is going to be for sure a cohesion, cohesion factor for the future. We have all been being, being numbering people in Macedonia, in North Macedonia as Albanians, Macedonians and others. For the first time, I got support, I, one candidate got support before the election started at all by ethnicities, ethnic communities and political parties representing that ethnicity is different than the ethnicity of the main candidate. So that's a good not for me, but good for the future of the country. And we have shown that since the, the framework agreement in 2001, which has concluded our conflict that year, now again, all 
prosperous forces and uh, forces for the better future of our country has gathered together and supported the candidate with that kind of political agenda. Right. Uh, very shortly, as you probably know, we have closed down all open issues with our uh, neighbors in the past year and a half. The first in that row was the agreement we have signed with Bulgaria on good neighbor relations and cooperation. And the implementation of that agreement is ongoing. And the second one, even the biggest political miracle, I would say, was our agreement with Greece. You know that long-standing name dispute quite unusual for many people coming outside of, from the region, but <laughs> it existed for 27 years. We have been obliged by the UN resolutions in 1993 to negotiate with our southern neighbor, and we have finally succeeded in, in finding a solution <laughs> on 17th of June last year, and that agreement is as well in the implementation stages, and uh, maybe that's a kind of a peculiar moment from my campaign. In the middle of my campaign, and why campaigning for Europe, uh, we saw, I saw that uh, all tables in front of all state institutions in the country have changed because of the name, so we got that new name and I put a new table at the main entrance of my presidential cabinet the very first day when I entered the office with the name North Macedonia, the Republic of North Macedonia. And that was quite difficult to explain to the people why we are doing that in the middle of the campaign, trying to send only positive messages to, to the people. but. Uh, my response was that we are doing that because of our European Union and European perspective and future. Second very important project we have, uh, we have implemented, which, met, which, which was met by, by solid resistance, I would say, in some corners of our society, was elevation of the Albanian language into the second official in the country. And that happened as well, implementation stages during the campaign. So I've always saying to the people, first of all, we have to have that civic or citizens' reconciliation, mm -hmm. and all people being equal in using their linguistic rights, apart from other rights. But it's good for our European Union future, you know, European perspective, because we have to be to, to stick to the highest European standards in that area as well. So why we are doing that? Because of Europe. Why we have changed the name? Because of European perspective and because of the NATO alliance entrance. Uh, it was regarding the NATO alliance, we are nearing the end of that process. Out of 29 member states of the alliance, we have up to now 15 ratification of our accession protocol, waiting for the rest of 14. And uh, we have on our side uh, one informal grouping within the alliance named the Friends of North Macedonia, who are, who are pushing that process to go quicker, faster, and to end by the end of this year, uh, if possible, uh, by 4th of December, when the next summit of NATO is scheduled in London. It's going to be the, on the 17th anniversary of the alliance, and we would like to be the 30th member of, of that alliance. Which, that's extremely important because we are located in a very volatile region with a very bad history <laughs> and turbulent surroundings. So it's very important for the country to, to enter that security umbrella, I would say, the, the biggest and still the most sound, most solid of all, which exists in the whole of Euro-Asia. Uh, what is important when speaking about our Euro-Atlantic integrations is that this integration has been supported since the very first day, being an independent country by the majority of the people. Unfortunately, we have been the high 90s, 1991, 92% in favor of the EU and NATO membership for years, and being supported, that project's being supported by all ethnicities. Unfortunately, in the 10 years before uh, political structure and the member of came to power, that was that dropped down, that support for EU and NATO dropped down, and it was between 60 and 65. Now we have raised that on 80, 82% in favor of these both memberships. So that's very important because this is the only of the big strategic projects in the country being supported by Macedonians, by Albanians, by 
all ethnicities. So it, it is by default a cohesion factor being in these associations. It's not a division factor as it is in some candidates or would-be candidates for the NATO alliance especially. Uh, what else? I just met with the President of the EU Council, Mr. Donald Tusk, and at 5 p.m. I have scheduled to meet Ms. Federica Mogherini just to hear what they have to say to us. We have delivered everything in the meantime, and we are waiting for the positive signal from the European Union now. Unfortunately, from some corners of the European Union, member, member states are coming not quite a positive messages, at least for these June-July summits of the EU. So I think it's going to be uh, a big injustice done to my country because not only we have delivered everything, but European Union has a clear final communique in last June on the Sofia summit between the Western Balkans and the European Union saying that Albania and Macedonia, at that time Fyrom, today North Macedonia, are going to be given date for negotiations in June 2019. So we are waiting for June, we are in that month, and waiting for the European Union to deliver as well. So we have done our part of the job, waiting for... We are, unfortunately, but that's the truth, we are the only positive example in the region. We are the only country in the Western Balkans where the opposition is in the institutions, not outside on the streets protesting. We are, in the past year and a half or two years, we are producing the only country which is producing good news in the region and it should be, it should be granted. It was well deserved and it's gonna be a good message for the region as a whole, not only for North Macedonia. Thank you. Thank you. So, Mr. President, as I said, I'm going to ask you a couple of follow-up questions and then open the floor to all of you who know so much about the region as well. So, because of Europe, European's perspective, NATO perspective, clearly all the hard work you've done, and it's been really remarkable what's, what the country has done over the last few years, reaching a point where clearly, Mr. President, the EU is split. Split. Uh, north, south, east, west, uh, and institutionally as well. So you've got the European Commission saying yes, said it last year, saying it again this year, yes, uh, yes to accession talks. Um, you've got 14 countries in the EU sending a message just very recently, uh, and I'll quote that uh, your membership accession talks will contribute to strengthening your resilience to external uh, detrimental interests of other players and ensure that EU countries are still the leading player for a positive regional transformation. But then you have some heavyweights, we know who they are, we can mention them clearly, but do we really need to, who will not perhaps do it. So what is your message? You've talked about a great injustice, but beyond the injustice, the geopolitical factors, the geostrategic factors, what are they that we should be here in Europe looking at more seriously uh, than we've done so far? We can discuss incessantly about the mightiness of the big powers. We are they're so big, we're so small, especially two of them, which has still some hesitations in this regard. Uh, what is important to be notified, in my view, as you said, 14 countries are in favor of our getting date for negotiations, but it is even more important, in my view, than the rest of these other 14 countries has nothing against. So including Germany and France, to be, to be clear, no country in Europe in the European Union, no politician in power in any of the EU countries, in any of the EU member countries, has said that North Macedonia does not deserve a date for negotiations. Even this year, we are speaking about, I would like to 
I would like to believe in that thesis that we are speaking only about the technical postponement because of some maybe political infighting within the EU, maybe because the EU elections has just been closed, then the new organs are, they should start speaking about the new functionaries, new commission, new organs uh, in the European Parliament, new commissions, uh, but no one has said you have not delivered in the meantime. So certainly we can explain our case uh, day out, day in, but it's up to them to decide at the end of the process. Uh, speaking about the two crucial countries, which has some remarks last year on the Sofia, during, during the Sofia summit, I think with both of them we have an argument plus, and they understood that. They understood that uh, tomorrow our Prime Minister Zaev is gonna meet, is gonna meet with the German Chancellor, mm -hmm. and uh, to see what is uh, going on with that agenda of the German Parliament. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Which is obviously now, from a technical standpoint, the, the biggest, I would like to say obstacle, but biggest puzzle. No one knows what's going to be on the agenda on the next session. On the session, they have uh, one session in July and two sessions in September already scheduled. So, but it's very important to us to say, you know, we are not going to fight with anybody in Europe, whether it's going to be June or July, if you like, even in October but give us the real practical start of negotiations in December. So you want a date for the start of negotiations by December? Practically, yes. You know, to be honest, everyone knows. If we get that data, even today, even tomorrow, then we cannot start practically before December, before that intergovernmental uh, conference. So by the end of this year, we would like to have a data, not saying 2023, 24, but this year. That was the conclusion of the last year's Sofia summit. That was the conclusion not of the North Macedonian parliament or North Macedonian government. That was not said by my side. That was the conclusion of the EU Council from last year. So the very Europeans said that we are waiting for very Europeans to, to deliver. Um, just before I turn to all of you, uh, just a question that's been on my mind, I have to say. So the PRESPA agreement with, with Greece was a difficult one to get through public opinion and your various parliaments. Is it in danger now if you don't get a date? No. No, with this government in power, with this government in power, in essence the political structure which has been supportive of me during my uh, run for the president, certainly not. That goes for the agreement with Bulgaria as well. So we have signed that. I mean, this political structure, this generation of politicians, we have lengthy deliberations on the subject because that was, this has been the questions, especially name dispute with Greece overburdened by emotions, by the long history of, you know, in fighting about some, maybe some emotional things, but they're still real in the Balkan politics. And we have finally decided to really enter into that implementation stage. We are far away from the point of departure we have started last year. We have already seven sessions of our Commission on History, to say, to say that in short, uh, with Bulgaria, seven sessions, and there is some progress, maybe not uh, huge progress on some issues, but there is some progress. Uh, we have agreed with Bulgaria to share some historical figures and some events from history. Mm -hmm. That is the phrase then, shared history, and uh, we are progressing, I think, with a good pace. Mm -hmm. It could be better, but we are progressing. Speaking about the implementation of the PRESPA agreement, agreement we are in the, in, the, in the advanced stages of the implementation, as I said. All state institutions are with the, with the new name. I have address here saying President of North Macedonia, and so, so we are going forward. Uh, what is next, speaking about the crucial projects for, from that agreement, we should we should form a mutual commission, joint commission with Greece on uh, using the trademarks. 
trademarks and speaking about the products which is going to be exported from GIs, geographical part. indicators, that kind of yes, thing? Yes, mm -hmm. yes, and uh, we have, we're going to form that, uh, that commission, uh, I think by the end of this year, and after that, that commission will have a period of time of three years to have a decision by mutual consent, of course, on, on many important issues, speaking about the trademarks and the, what is gonna, what's gonna be on the, on the bottles, for example, about the wine and product of North Macedonia, Very product important. of Northern Greece and something like that. Mm -hmm. So, but we are well going into that implementation. Okay, that's reassuring, stage. that's yeah. reassuring. As you said, a good news story in a, in a region uh, and a time for Europe that we need good news stories that show leadership uh, and has important uh, geopolitical repercussions within Europe, but outside Europe as well. Yes, we can make compromises and we can work together. Strong message to send from Europe. I'd like to open the floor now, Mr. President, if you allow. Please raise your hand, uh, identify yourself. I have colleagues uh, with microphones, so I see Nicholas White already. And please, can I have a show of hands? Other people who want to ask questions at this stage? Um, all right, we'll go with the flow. Please, Nicholas. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. President. Introduction. Yeah, okay. No, it's, it's on. It's on. It's on. We know, we know quite well each other. Yeah. Um, 2001. But just introduce yourself to the public. Well, well, well thank you very much, Mr. President. Um, it's really good to see you here. My name is Nicholas Weiss. I'm a, a senior director at APCO Worldwide, uh, but I ask this question purely in a personal capacity. Um, Macedonia has made, North Macedonia has made immense uh, progress in the last year or so in particular now with your election as a, a, a latest great step. Are you not concerned though that with the election coming in Greece in early July that there might be the potential for a new Greek government which it seems is quite likely to come to power to walk back elements of the Prespa agreement and indeed if you don't get the date for the start of EU accession negotiations in the, the summit this month that there may be a different Greek Prime Minister for the next EU summit who may unfortunately give, give a different answer and I'm aware that the Prespa agreement came about because of the very positive relationship between your colleagues um, Prime Minister Zayev and Foreign Minister Dimitrov with their Greek counterparts um, if one side of that equation is no longer there, mm. then does that mean that the whole thing is, is at risk? Mm. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Nick. You didn't say in what capacity you came to Macedonia for the first time, and that I'm fired on, as the, as the director of the International Crisis Group. Ah, yes. <laughs> okay, uh, this is one of the, I would say, small puzzles being connected with the, with the implementation of the PRESPA agreement. All public statements, given up to now by the Greek oppositional leader, Mitsotakis, and by the key people in his political party are not saying anything about revising the agreement. They are not saying anything about annihilating the agreement. They say that they are gonna kept that agreement being alive and after that implemented. And uh, I would like to believe that they are gonna stick to their words. Uh, it is true that uh, the principal agreement was not possible without the personal connection being established between Prime Minister Zayf and Prime Minister Tsipras. And as you know, as in life and in politics, it could be the problem when it comes to the changing the guards in Athens. But it's my job, and I already started working in this direction, to open new communication channels with other political actors in Greece, which might be tomorrow in power, because this agreement is not a personal thing between Zayev and Cyprus. It shouldn't be treated in that way. This agreement is of strategic importance, even for Greece, not, not to speak about North Macedonia, and it should be respected by everybody, including by the today's Macedonian opposition, opposition in North Macedonia, which has some remarks from 
times to times on the same agreement. And uh, before I arrived in Brussels, uh, the opposition leader gave an interview yesterday, was that, saying that uh, if there is a clear political will on the Greek side, they will try to renegotiate parts of that agreement. But if there is a clear political will on the other side, in my view, it's not going to happen on both sides. So we should stick to this agreement and be in a good faith uh, going forward in the implementation of that agreement. I cannot see any, you know, it's very difficult to reach an agreement about anything, even meaningless things in the Balkans. <laughs> not about the name of the country. We have one very, very specific provision. Not, uh, you cannot find that kind of a provision in any international accords being signed since the very beginnings of the humankind. Article 7 is speaking about the ethnicity of the so-called Greek Macedonians and Macedonian Macedonians. We have even done that in the agreement and we have differentiated between what is the Hellenic tradition and history and culture and the historical periods which come after that. So it's very difficult to renegotiate, renegotiate something like that. So that was really, I, I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying that it's a political, it was a political miracle. And uh, that was the unique diplomatic dispute even before that, <laughs> before the agreement was signed. And now with this agreement, that's really, really a miracle. Really a miracle. So I cannot see, I cannot identify miracle workers on both sides of the border doing that, renegotiating the agreement, and even then uh, enhancing the agreement for the mutual benefit of both sides. You can renegotiate the agreement and to have benefit for one side more than for the other, mm -hmm. but to have on equal sides properly, well, in a good proportion, deployed the benefits of this agreement, it's not possible. In my humble view, I have been the part of the team behind these uh, formal negotiators, and I know how difficult it was to reach this point in time with this agreement, and I can bet on that option. Okay, they have an open space to do it, to attempt anything they, they do, they, they, will, they would like to do, but it's very difficult to renegotiate the agreement and to have benefits for Skopje and for Athens in the same time. So that's one of your challenges, is to keep saying that, I suppose, in these, uh, let's say, tricky, tricky weeks ahead. Uh, you will have to keep repeating it, Mr. President. You know, it's very, uh, it, 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 uh, you know, where the origins of all of that political situation is, we are the multi-ethnic society. And uh, we, are, we have very specific regional surroundings. I'm always saying uh, it's very difficult to be the president or the prime minister in the multi-ethnic country. It's more easier to be, I saw a friend from Slovenia in, <laughs> in Slovenia, where 95% of the people are ethnic Slovenes or from the same ethnicity. But we are, we are, we are where we are now. And so if you're not capable of doing that kind of a thing, so, so stay at home and watch TV. So uh, we have to be very careful in that, looking for the regional balance. Yeah. We have a half a million ethnic Albanians living in the country. And we have two neighbors with the ethnic Albanian majority, the Republic of Kosovo and Republic of Albania. I have in my camp before the election then, four parties of ethnic Albanians supporting me. And you, can you believe that I have at least two parties of ethnic Serbs supporting me. <laughs> so three parties of ethnic Turks supporting me. How many me. parties do you have? Uh, 31. Okay. 31. <laughs> 31. So it's difficult. It's difficult internally and regionally. Very difficult to, to manage all of these things. I cannot do that alone, of course. But this, each politician in, in North Macedonia should have that feeling of a proper balance within and in the region. Otherwise, you cannot prosper as a state. Because we are the, the smallest, apart from Montenegro, we are the smallest country mm -hmm. in the region. Okay. Thank you for that question. Uh, answer, please. Could you bring the microphone here? Thank you. 
Thank you very much, and thank you, President, for coming here. Uh, my name is Jasen Koselimovic. I am the member of the parliament from Sweden, even though I was born in, in the Balkans in Sarajevo. Uh, I wanted to ask you something about the internal consequences if the EU doesn't fulfill its, its promises. Uh, but first, let me just congratulate you on the miracle you have achieved. Actually, it's a miracle. Um, Sweden is often regarded as a kind of compromise-seeking part of the world. So, but I cannot imagine Swedes accepting changing the name of Sweden to Eastern Sweden or Western Sweden or Western Norway or Eastern Finland. You know, it, it doesn't exist on, on, on the map. It's completely un completely impossible. So yes, your humble attitude seeking compromise is witnessing why you have achieved that goal and it is a miracle. But I'm interesting if, well, maybe we don't have a problem with the Greece elections, but will we have a problem with the, internally in Macedonia, with the withering support for the EU, giving the, actually saying that these EU skeptics are right, because they've been saying that EU will not fulfill its promises, They've been saying that for 10 years. And now suddenly, when you have made a miracle, EU is suddenly starting to think, well, we didn't mean really seriously this, what we, what we meant, what we promised, and so on. So I want you to see, I want you to elaborate a little bit, if you can, on the question, what will happen in a country? What will happen with the support to the European Union? And what will happen with the nationalism in the country if the EU starts mm -hmm. to, to uh, trying to avoid its promise? Thank you very much. Thank you, President. It's obvious what's going to happen if we are not being granted the date for negotiations. Uh, a few days ago, Prime Minister Zai was here on the same topic. He was uh, uh, sounding a bit more disappointing than I'm going to be. <laughs> he is even considering resignation, or withdrawing from politics in, in this kind of a scenario. I hope that we are not going to have something like that is not going to happen. But it's obvious. Uh, these are the numbers. Uh, if we are calculating the, the people being in that pro-European or pro-Western camp in my country, then last year we have a referendum about changing the name, then accepting the Prespa Agreement and in such a way to enter the UN NATO. And we got approximately 600,000 votes in favor of that option. 600,000. I, I got approximately 400 for my election, 450, uh, 440,000. So with all other, let's say, lateral subjects, uh, maybe, or impact, uh, government, what, what government has been doing in the meantime, in this, this eight-month period, last September, this April, and what the local municipalities are doing, some dissatisfaction with this or that part of that society, but uh, we lost more than, I mean, the pro-European, pro-Western camp lost than more than 100,000 votes. That's the reality. And uh, we have won but on uh, a heavy price. And if we are not now granting the date for negotiations, then I can, I can bet on that option. Then one, additional 100,000 votes are going to leave this camp. Maybe they're not going to transfer to the, to the opposition, but maybe they are going to stay at home. And many of them will leave the country indefinitely. Will leave the country for some of the European Union members. <laughs> OK, uh, that's a warning. Uh, thank you for that. I'd like to ask you. For more questions from the floor? Okay, so not yet. I'll, t I'll, t I'll carry on. Uh, uh, one. Yes? Oh, so of course. Aral, please. Thank you. Thank you, Shada. Thank you, Mr. President. Aris Kokinos from Eurobold.com. It's a question on your membership on the North Atlantic uh, issue. What consequences do you think it can have with your northern neighbor, Serbia, and its everlasting friendship with the big uh, Russian player? Uh, 
if I was coming in a different capacity, for example, like an expert, I could be quite open on that issue, but... <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, I would like to say this. Then it is obvious that in the past few years, in the region, not only in North Macedonia, in the region are felt uh, extra regional influences or influences by some extra regional powers. Mm -hmm. And we have, uh, we have felt something of that during our referendum campaign. It is true that the region is, this, is not only the region, but my country as the part of the region is subject of that new phenomenon, fake news, trying to undermine very democratic values that each society should rely on. So we got support from the NATO alliance in this regard. In last September, we have, from on the bilateral issues, because we are still not the full-fledged member, we, on the bilateral basis, we got some support by some of the strongest allies in that, in that organization, somehow to counter this kind of an impact. And I think we have been quite successful in that. But with the autonomous forces, we cannot counter that influences. Uh, speaking about uh, the Republic of Serbia, they have declared 10, 11 years ago their neutral stance. They have a declaration in the parliament, and I cannot see any problem in this regard, in the bilateral relationship between Belgrade and Skopje. That's our autonomous will. We have decided like that. We have more than 80 at times, 90% of approval for NATO membership. They have decided otherwise. They have different history, different experience with that organization, so we respect that on, on a mutual basis. We should respect uh, each other's decisions. So uh, I do not expect any problems coming from Belgrade, from Serbia in this regard. But maybe by some other centers of power, I wouldn't like to say states, organizations, but by some other extra-regional, outside of the region, centers of power, yes, of course. Thank you very much. Uh, let me take the lady over there. Yes, please. I'll come to you as well. Yes. Uh, my name is Ivana Jankovska. I have met the president on a couple of occasions, and I am just uh, here as an interested Macedonian. <laughs> Good. Uh, first, Welcome. I want to congratulate the, the president for his elections and uh, for the great success, and I wish you many success in your uh, further uh, mandate. Um, what you said, like, in case that we don't get uh, the starting of the negotiations, uh, you mentioned the consequences of young people like me leaving Macedonia and uh, many other possible repercussions for the Prime Minister. So I'm asking you personally, what is on your list as a plan B in case we don't uh, get the date? What are your plans and how are you going to work and to convince the young people to really stay and uh, uh, work on hopefully next year's uh, opening of negotiations. Thank you. Uh, that's a good question. I do have a, an alternative plan. If we are not uh, getting the data for negotiations, so my plan B is to enter the European Union. <laughs> <laughs> so right. there is no, there is no absolutely. I know that some some critics in my country and throughout the region, throughout Europe, saying that uh, that has to be an alternative to everything in life. So I really cannot see any feasible, sustainable, prosperous alternative to this one for my country than other than European Union and NATO alliance. So I, I've been uh, in, in the lengthy discussions with my people, not only during the election campaign, explaining to them reasons why UK is trying to leave the European Union has nothing to do with our motives to be in the European Union. Okay. Then uh, ambitions of some countries to, to stay passive, to say the least, in the NATO alliance or not contributing too much to that defense budget is one thing. We have a completely different set of reasons why we have to be in the, in the NATO alliance. I've been 15 years ago national security advisor to two presidents. I know quite, we have internal conflict in 2001. I know quite well what's happening in the region, what might happen in my country. Uh, just the latest info, maybe some of you have heard about that. 
We are from times to times hearing that about some border skirmishes on the border between Kosovo and Serbia. Last night at 7.30 I have been informed there have been some shooting done. Mm -hmm. We have only 20 kilometers then Skopje as the capital of North Macedonia is only 20 kilometers away from the border with Kosovo and similar number of, uh, of kilometers up to the northern to, with, with Serbia. It's extremely important what's going to happen with the Kosovo issue. I'm speaking against that one of that idea being floated upon, uh, that issue then eventual uh, swapping of territories and, and people then, as I said, that's one of the most horrible ideas I ever heard in my life. So it's not possible to change one millimeter of any of the Balkan borders and not to have the conflict immediately, immediately. You know what was the casus belli for our conflict? Casus belli, then the scene was set before that, but in essence, Albanians protested their exclusion from the system and they fought the state in 2001. But the motive, the concrete casus belli was demarcation of our border with Serbia at that time. That was still Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. Uh, anyone of, of you can invoke the scenes from the Kosovo parliament about the, when the issue of demarcation of the border, their border with Montenegro was on the agenda. They have not been able to ratify that agreement. And you know what? I have been a few times in my life on that border between Kosovo and Montenegro. <laughs> there are no people living up there virtually. No oil is there, I guess. But anyhow, you cannot speak about changing the borders in the Balkans because it's very, very dangerous. So there is no alternative to both of these organizations. And I think that is the, the stance of many responsible politicians in North Macedonia. Thank you very much. Please, sir, can you bring the uh, microphone here in front, please? Mr. President, thank you so much for this insightful exchange. Isaac is my name from Vocal Europe. There's certainly, uh, the following the PRESPA agreement, there's certainly a new chapter being opened with NATO and EU. My question is whether or not there is a new chapter being opened with some of the EU's geopolitical contender in Western Balkans. You mean formally to open the chapter, no? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Unfortunately, since 2014, we are feeling, all of us living in the region, we are feeling that geopolitical competence, uh, rivalry, rivalry to say the least. And, you know, we are so small and these rivals on both sides are so big that we cannot manage both sides in the same time. And uh, we have to follow what our citizens have to say on that issue. So as I said, 80 times 90% of the people are in favor of the Western organizations. Then in the same time saying this, we have nothing against the cooperation with the Russian Federation, with Chinese, and uh, unfortunately, we haven't used that opportunity to the fullest in the past in the past years. And uh, believe it or not, one of my first meetings in the very first day being in the office was with the Russian ambassador in Skopje. I was trying to explain to him that I have not, I have been waging the whole campaign on the pro-Western agenda totally, but I have nothing in the same time nothing against the Russians. Nothing against Russia as a state, against the Russian Federation. So they are a big country with vast energy resources. Uh, North Macedonia is more than 80% energy dependent. And we are still gasified. So we are, we are lagging behind even the rest of the Balkan countries in this regard. So it seems to me that the past governments, maybe this one, the current one, is not doing enough to approach Russian federations in the trade and economy field. So I wouldn't like to speak about geopolitical rivalry too much because we are not really, we are not the stakeholders in that battle. It exists, do exist, divisible. At times, unfortunately, it is tangible <laughs> for the people living in the region, but we 
cannot influence that debate, debate, not to say the, the course of events on the, on the terrain. So I would like to concentrate on these economy and trade issues with everybody, and including some countries in the wider region which are quite close with the Russian Federation. So that's the only way out for the, for the region which is extremely poor. We are the poorest region in Europe, period. And that disastrous, after 30 years being in that lengthy and uh, dark and uh, long transition, we are still speaking about an average salary. You know, what was the, the, key, uh, the key pledge of the Prime Minister Zayev when, during the parliamentary elections in 2016, to have an average salary of 500 euros at the end of the mandate. He said, by 2020, we'll have an average salary in North Macedonia of 500 euros. That's humiliating. We are speaking about the 2020 and 21st century. So put aside the geopolitical rivalry. <laughs> Let's speak about the more tangible things, more humane, more close to our lives. And we have an, uh, um, the whole region unprecedented rate of, of, of leaving of the young generations. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine that we are the only country in Europe without the proper census being executed for 20 years. Finally, we have scheduled, because the previous government was not quite keen to know how many people have left the country, they have praised themselves as being the biggest reformers in the world. And uh, they started to wage that, that census in 2011 and cut off that uh, operation the very last day. It should last for 15 days. And when they saw the numbers, they, have, they got stunned, they have been shocked. Then they have numbered 1.7 million people at that period of the time. And now no one knows how many people are left in North Macedonia. Mm. And in the former Yugoslavia, in the harsh communist times, we have been 2.1 million. You can imagine that. Kosovo has unprecedented scale of, of migration as well. Bulgaria before that, Serbia. So, and uh, if these trends continue, and if we are speaking about geopolitical rivalry, high politics, then believe me, within, the, within 10 years from now, then probably me or any other people cannot be will not have the people whom to be the president, the prime minister, the ministers. That's a very somber thought. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Please. Thank you. Uh, Tanya Milevska, I'm the Brussels correspondent of the International News Agency. Uh, I was a bit late, so I don't know if you opened this issue, but... Uh, no excuse for that. No excuse. Never. <laughs> um, so uh, North Macedonia is expecting a uh, start of the negotiations, which is coupled with Albania. And um, there is a feeling of unfairness about this coupling, uh, both in the country and in, in member states. Um, what's your opinion on the whole decoupling issue uh, from Albania? And do you believe uh, some of the threats that it could destabilize uh, the region? Uh, when I was speaking about the serious political issues, I wouldn't like to use the terms like emotions or being dispirited. Or, or then, if you are getting into politics with emotions, you're going to lose. So, <laughs> but you need emotions. Yes, to the, feeling, the, fe the feeling out like that. I have the same feelings. As I, I wouldn't hide that emotions. Uh, we are still dissatisfied, waiting for that uh, pledge of the European, very European Union to to implement their decisions. Speaking about, I haven't mentioned that topic is very important. Uh, in some corners of the European Union, especially in the, in, among the political leads in these two crucial countries for, for getting that data for negotiations for us and Albania, uh, there are suspicions what will happen if decoupling really happen. So uh, there are some arguments about that. First of all, as a political thesis, I would like to say I, I fully support Republic of Albania getting the date for negotiations immediately. Then all of these 
news coming from the Western Balkan region are good for the whole region. So I have nothing against, and we are always speaking. I have just recently a public speech in, in our institutions in Skopje. I said Macedon, North Macedonia and Albania should be granted data. So no, no doubt about my political position on that. But about decoupling, some people among the ruling elites in Germany especially, uh, saying that it's not good to decouple two countries if we have in mind that in the next, in the incoming months, we should, the international community should approach the Kosovo issue and try to, 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 to get uh, both sides, Belgrade and Pristina, together and eventually to, to look for the mutual solution. And their argument is, is that if you are without the sound and solid regional backing of Kosovo, and that is in the first place certainly the Republic of Albania, that allegedly the Kosovo Albanians are not going to enter seriously into that negotiations. There are some arguments about that. I can buy it. On the other side, uh, if we are all, all countries have judged on merit, we have delivered everything being asked for. And we have done something which has not been done in the diplomatic history of the world. We have changed the name of our country. Uh, I'm always saying that, even publicly in Skopje, whenever asked by the journalists, uh, I have been campaigning and saying that uh, we have to change the name of the country. And people, more than that, people ask me why. Because of the European Union. We have, to, we have to have European future. And we have, very important, we have elevated Albanian language on the level of the second official language in the country. And some people ask me why you're doing that just now, because of Europe. <laughs> now, if Europe is not delivering to us, many people, including my supporters and my voters, will say, no, thank you. I will buy some other political alternative or, or option. So it seems to me that European Union should deliver on their promises. And what's the problem with that word? You know, whenever speaking in politics about promises, it's not something tangible you should, you should hold in your hand. I wouldn't like to speak about promises. They said what they have said in last June. We have done what we have done in the past year. Albania has done what they have done in the, in the past year. So what we want is the fair chance. Judge on us, on our accomplishments, on our failures, if you see something like that. And give us your solution. But please do not speak about uh, uh, summer, summer holidays approaching and we do not have the new commission being installed. And speaking about the autumn session, session in the autumn in the German Bundestag, please then the, the term uh, June 2019 was intentionally put into the final communique of the last year EU summit because of the Euro elections, mm -hmm. which has been organized between 23rd and 26th of May. So that we have been, we have been in a puzzle. Why? We have a, why in June? Why not before or after mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. They said immediately after the Euro elections. Now elections are gone and we are waiting. So that, that was the message you gave to Donald Tusk and you will also convey to Mogherini, a sense of uh, It's very interestingly what uh, President Tusk said. Mm. Uh, I think that was a really unprecedented words for one president of the EU Council. He said on the press conference that just concluded, he said that this, in my words, to interpret his words, he okay. said, now the problem is not with you, but it is with us. <laughs> it was good to be here, but we would like to see anyhow results regardless of the rhetoric being used. Thank you very much. I saw another question, Martin Banks. Yes, please. Just introduce yourself. Hello, I'm from the Parliament magazine. On the EU issue, do you, do you accept maybe that there's a sense um, of uh, what's been called, of course, you're familiar with enlargement fatigue that may have worked against you so far, may still possibly work against you. Do you have any sort of empathy with those who, um, who feel a sense of enlargement fatigue? 
Um, and also on the NATO one, um, I just wonder what you think of uh, President Trump's um, um, much vaunted sort of uh, spend, defense spending targets, the 2% target. Um, is this sort of, uh, uh, you know, realistic uh, for other NATO members, um, given the, the fact that quite a few of them are lagging behind still, much to the uh, sort of angst of President Trump? And, you know, what are realistically the chances of, if and when you join NATO, of your country uh, meeting those, um, that 2% um, defense spending target? <clears throat> The, the, last part of your, the last part of your question is much more easier for me because we are right on target, but I will say later on on that issue. Speaking about the fatigue, uh, you know that it resides on both sides. I fully understand the people living in the permanent members of the European, in the members of the European Union, speaking about that enlargement, which they cannot see the end of that process, and they said we have accepted some countries in that big bank enlargement 15 years ago, and the results are not quite satisfying to us or to them. I understand their arguments, but they should understand our arguments and our fatigue, our people really exhausted of waiting in the waiting room. Then, apart from Turkey which is the record holder, speaking about the European Union <laughs> membership, we are the record holder. Apart from Turkey, we are waiting being the formally candidate for the EU membership from 2005. Can you imagine, for 14 years, and in all, and got in the meantime, 10 positive recommendations by the European Commission, and at the end of each report, it was, you're good in this, this, and that, you have delivered on everything, but there's only one remaining issue, the name dispute with Greece. We have delivered on that despite all odds, despite all people saying that's not possible to be accomplished. With that PRESPA agreement having in my agenda, I won the elections for the president. And now what? Again waiting. And someone will again speak about the fatigue. I would like to say on which side the fatigue is more present. I would like you to answer. Just speak, uh, to, to say a few words on the defense spending. Uh, there, there was one, before answering directly with the numbers then, there was one interesting episode during the last summit of NATO when we have been granted, we have been invited for, for membership. Uh, on 11th and 12th of July, I was in Brussels. Uh, on the NAC, then key decision-making body of the NATO alliance, President Trump said in one moment that apart from uh, threshold of 2% not being met by many countries, including Germany, then he, he said, I'm uh, uh, thinking about the 4% of <laughs> defense spending as a threshold. And uh, at that time, we have been speaking with our finance minister in Skopje, he was that. He said, we cannot reach 2% of that target and not speak about 4% of, of GDP being allocated for the defense. We are allocating at present 1.2% of our GDP and have the long-term financial perspective being approved by the NATO Alliance. Last year, I was the national NATO coordinator and I was in charge for leading the negotiations with NATO because there are negotiations as well <laughs> with the NATO Alliance and uh, signed there on behalf of my country that by 2024, we will allocate 2% of our then GDP for the defense. So we are going towards the target. As far as I know, but that's not up to me, to respond, some key European Union members, <laughs> members in NATO as well, are not progressing well in this regard, but I would like to speak again about, about fatigue. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir, please. Thank you. Uh, can you, uh, Elena? Gentleman over here in front, actually, here. Thank you. <clears throat> Andre Dimitri, European Parliament. I'm working on uh, Western Balkans and uh, Turkey. Uh, I mean, coming back to what <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, 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 very busy all the time. And my question is related to that as well. And I fear you are the absolute record holder in terms of uh, the, the lapse of time between being granted candidate status and opening negotiations. In the case of Turkey, it was six years, whatever the state of play uh, and the de facto frozen accession process with Turkey. Uh, Mr. Penderovsky, so first of all, congratulations on your elections and uh, whatever your country did to come to uh, this stage. And I can fully empathize with uh, you referring to uh, uh, the June conclusions of last year and uh, our constantly saying, if you deliver, we will deliver. So it's not about promises, it's about delivering. Uh, you also said we can uh, talk incessantly about the scenarios for the coming uh, months. We all know that Germany cannot really uh, move on the basis of this uh, cooperation act between the federal government and the Bundestag, which was revised on the occasion of uh, Croatian accession, uh, before there is an opinion of the uh, Bundestag. Uh, so my question would be rather on, uh, on uh, NATO and Turkey. Uh, Macedonia has been under uh, pressure, like other countries from uh, Turkey, to extradite uh, some Turkish nationals that are affiliated to the Gulen movement, which uh, Turkey considers uh, a, a terrorist organization, FETÖ they call it. Uh, we know how it played out, how the removal of certain uh, Turkish nationals uh, from Kosovo uh, played out in the backlash in, in Kosovo also, in political terms, the Ombudsman report. Yesterday, the European Court of Human Rights uh, issued a, a verdict on uh, what happened uh, in Moldova, um, which it called an illegal removal of, uh, of, of Turks following their uh, complaint. Um, Turkey first said that it could take into account uh, the attitude of your country regarding the requested extradition uh, when ratifying uh, the accession protocol. Later, this was officially denied, so it wouldn't be an issue. Uh, could you maybe uh, update us on the state of uh, play or maybe where you uh, position yourself personally on this issue? Thank you. Okay, let's start with the numbers. Uh, that's correct. Turkey is uh, asking for extradition of 15 people, 1-5, 15 people up to now. Maybe some new demands will, will arrive to our justice minister, but up to now we have 15 cases for 15 individuals. Uh, most of them are Macedonian citizens. That might be one of the problems for extradition. As you know, then, key tenet in the international law is that no one is extraditing his own nationals, but that should be the second rank. Uh, question for this debate. Then, uh, out of these 15 people, we have asked, of course, for five of them for additional information from the Turkish side. Five of them are already not physically present on the territory of North Macedonia. And uh, the last five are in the ongoing court proceedings. As you know, as everywhere, the politics has not or should not have anything to do with the independence of the judiciary. So we are not meddling into the internal affairs, judiciary, public prosecutor's office, so on and so forth. But we are, we are acting. We, have, we are in the proceedings for some of them. Uh, we have said to our Turkish friends, beyond doubt, Turkish was the one of the staunchest supporters for our NATO membership for years, since the very beginning. And we are the candidate for NATO since 1999. And we are their undisputed record holders <laughs> since the Washington summit that year. So we have said to our Turkish friends, that uh, we uh, deeply respect their demands, and deeply, deeply evaluate the arguments on the matter. Uh, but on the other side, we have to take care about 
our domestic legislation, then everything done and everything is, is going to be do, done in the future has to be in line with the Macedonian legislature. And uh, everything with, is going to be done in this regard has to be in line with the European Union legislature. Because we are the uh, candidate country for membership, we are waiting even to start the negotiations, and we have to align all of our key policies with those of the European Union, like we are aligning our foreign policy, defense policy, uh, with the with those of the European Union. So it's uh, at the end of the day, it's up to the to the state institutions in North Macedonia to decide. But as the politicians, we have to say that we have to respect our domestic laws and. We have to respect what the European Union partners and friends are saying on the same matter. And if everything is okay with all of these individual cases, it's going to be individual decisions on each of them, of course, not a collective one, then, then the respective state institutions will, will, will behave in the proper manner. Thank you very much. A lady over here. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Milikan Akshaw. I'm working for the European Committee. Closer to your mouth, please. Just that. It's fine? Yeah. Thank you. So I'm working for the European Committee of the Regions, and uh, we are having next year a big event. We are organizing every year the so-called Enlargement Day, and we have uh, political bodies that uh, group uh, members from our committee who are mayors, local regional authorities with uh, counterparts from uh, the candidate and potential candidate countries. Now, all the questions that you received so far are what if there is a no or a negative answer to the June Council? My question goes exactly in the other direction. So what would be the next steps after you get an okay for launching negotiations, uh, uh, accession negotiations? Uh, the reason is because uh, you said that accession to the EU works as a cohesive factor across the political spectrum and also within civil society and ethnic communities. Now, what if that milestone has been achieved? How will you work further to uh, ensure the same level of support from all the ethnic communities? And where do you see the, local, uh, the role of local and regional authorities in this process? Thank you. Uh, shortly at the very beginning, uh, I have all ethnicities in my office as well. I have all of them, people from different ethnic backgrounds already working for my, for, for my office, for me. That's something because I'm barely one month in the office. But apart from that, uh, we have already formed the teams for negotiations along all of these 35 chapters. We have all of them, the people in. Of course, all of those teams, we are speaking about the core teams. Then uh, all of that, all of these teams are gonna be strengthened by the additional experts coming from the NGO community, from some other walks of life. And what I'm gonna insist, I have said that publicly, not only during the campaign, but after that, I'm gonna insist for the people from the oppositional ranks to be members there, and why not even to lead some of the negotiation chapters? Why not? We have bright people, of course, in the opposition, as we have in the uh, ruling parties, and without assembling all the strengths, all the intellectual, intellectual potential of the country, we cannot be quite successful in that very, very difficult endeavor, as you know, and everybody knows, which has been through that very lengthy and uh, complicated at times uh, process of negotia negotiations. So. Uh, something like that has already been proposed by the parties in power, but everybody's waiting for the date for negotiations, and we should start immediately. We have uh, the core teams being prepared in 2005, even, when we became the candidate country for, for membership, but unfortunately after that, you know what happened with the name dispute, and we have been in the, we've forgotten in the waiting room. Now, we have simply awakened all of those people, and uh, I think we have the good teams. 
for all of these, in all of these chapters. Speaking about the regions, we have uh, one door, we should open one door more using the FRESPA agreement with Greece, because we are bordering Bulgaria and Greece, which are already in, and European Union members, and we have at least one, the so-called potentials for one Euro region to be formed with Bulgaria and two with the Republic of Greece. So, you know, up to now why I'm saying this and you mentioning a PRESPA agreement. Before PRESPA agreement was signed, there was no any single bilateral agreement between Skopje and Athens signed in any area. Mm. Not in any. Even for some illegal migrants crisscrossing the board, joint border, we haven't signed anything. Now we are able to sign everything from the sport, from culture, from economic, economy and trade. So we have now really open possibilities to form the region with some neighboring municipalities on the other side of the border with Bulgaria and in two instances with Greece and to start working with that and applying together for some of the EU, EU funds. Thank you very much. Uh, I would like to turn now to Tarek for, I think this would be the final question, unless I see someone else. I have a final question, but I'll give you the pen final question. My name is Tarek Mahmoud, I'm an Egyptian journalist. I have been following uh, the Balkans a long time still, and I'm t I wonder what Macedonia economically expects from the European Union. There is a, as you ex described it clearly, is disproportionate between the two economies. So, mm -hmm. how things do you think can move? Thank you. Uh, speaking about the the cooperation between, I wouldn't like to say cooperation between EU as such in its entirety with the North Macedonia, but. Uh, we have already a very good bilateral economic relationship with many with key members, with all members of the European Union, of course. And uh, in the first place, after starting negotiations eventually, we are expecting some of the pre-accession funds to be opened, then much more than it is the case today. Uh -huh. But just one uh, parallel uh, example to, to say uh, what we got when we, have, we got that invitation for NATO membership. Believe it or not, we have... Uh, increased our trade and economic cooperation with our direct neighbors by 25%. And uh, the all uh, rate of economic growth has uh, doubled in the meantime, the latest, for, the latest, for the latest quarter uh, quarter of this year, then we have the economic growth of 4.1%, so which has not happening in my country maybe for years and years. All of that is because of the NATO invitation mm -hmm. and now being on the very verge of getting that EU accession data. Why? Because with, especially with the NATO invitation being in the heartland of the Balkan, then many people, foreign investors especially, uh, said that uh -huh, maybe this country now finally will have a, a future mm -hmm. or predictable future. Mm -hmm. So, and starting negotiations with the EU, then and especially opening with that chapter number 23, then many foreign investors, including domestic ones, of course, will say uh, that domestic legal environment is now going to be more predictive and more safe. So these are going to be, that's not maybe direct. We are not expecting the cash from the European Union, but certainly building with their help, your help, building an environment in which domestic and foreign investors in economy and trade will prosper. Right, and you've already seen some, uh, some effects. So my uh, final question to you is, uh, Mr. President, so we've talked a lot, a lot about the fatigue and the weariness uh, in your region about uh, accession. I was wondering your advice to European leaders on how they can change public perceptions here in Europe about the Western Balkans. 
Because there is a feeling that the region, as, 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 as you know, is you know, just corrupt, no rule of law, things are not moving, reconciliation is not happening, uh, one step forward, two steps back. All of this is partly true, perhaps, but not the dominant narrative. So how can we change perceptions, make Europeans more favorable, public, uh, towards what's happening in your region? Mm. Maybe I appreciate your question, but maybe my answer is going to surprise you then. I do not think, I do not have the study behind of my arguments, of course, or some thorough research, but in my view, uh, political leads in Europe are more problematic than average people. I think that the common people in all European Union member countries quite, know quite well the reality on the ground <laughs> in the Balkans and everywhere in the region. And uh, they're mingling with the people from the region. We have many people, I saw at least 10 in this hall being for years living with you. And you know that we are not quite different from you then. We are human beings as you are. And I'm not afraid of the judgment of the common people. I'm afraid of the judgment of politicians. I should stop here. <laughs> Indeed, uh, uh, Mr. President, thank you so much. You've been extremely frank and honest, and I have to say made some very strong points. Political miracle, the need for the EU to deliver on what has been promised many, many times, and the fatigue, as you said, Mr. President, on which side, and no plan B. But you also made, I think, a very poignant reference to your young people uh, in northern Mac North Macedonia, and the fact that you still have so much to do to catch up with the prosperity and the economic uh, standards in, in the West. And you're, of course, waiting for the date. And I think the message from here is very strong. Uh, so are we. Uh, so thank you very much indeed for coming. I would like to give you uh, a letter of invitation. Cash started flowing. <laughs> and the cash started flowing. <laughs> right, right. No, no. This is, this is just to invite you to our Balkans Summit, which is taking place in December this year. And we would be honored if you could do us the pleasure of coming to our summit and speaking there as well. December, mind you, Mr. President, could be a very important moment for you. As you said, uh, perhaps that's when the breakthrough will happen. So uh, we hope that you will be there. And once again, thank you, thank you very much for thank coming here and taking all the conversations. Thank you for your attendance. Thank you. See you. Mm -hmm.